Uh, if you would uh, take, if you take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And today is the final message in this evangelistic series that I've been doing, Game Changer. Um, in this series, I've asked uh, over these last two weeks, and then today I've asked game-changing questions, and the questions have been the titles of the message. And my first question on the first week was, who's in charge? Who's in charge of your life? Who's running the shots? Who's Lord of your life? Uh, that, that was the first question. The second question was last week, and it's, uh, have you been born again? Now, I want to encourage you, uh, that if, if you've missed one of these messages, they kind of all tie together. And so I encourage you to go on our website, uh, listen to it, if you believe that someone could benefit from the truths of the messages. Uh, would you please share them and so that we can do it? And, but uh, more so uh, that you uh, can equip yourself to know the truth and how to share the gospel. Here's my third question today, and it's the title of this message. Um, are you good enough? Are you good enough? And we're going to ask and allow Jesus, we're going to ask Jesus that question and allow him to answer that for us. Because the answer to that question, are you good enough, the answer, either way you go, is a game changer. It's a game changer. Um, it was for the guy who was in this story that we're about to read in Mark uh, chapter 10. So... Um the title that you might have in your Bible, I don't know what's, you know, how your Bible, the different chapters or the different stories have little titles. Uh, your, your title might say the rich man or the rich ruler or in whatever, if you're in either Matthew, Mark, or Luke, it might say young ruler or whatever. Uh, this is the story that we know of as the rich young ruler. You know what I'm talking about. You've heard, it, and, and really, we, we kind of put those pieces together because of, of all the Gospels and how they refer to the same person in different, uh, different ways. Now, um, we don't know the identity of this man for sure, for sure, for sure, uh, but as I've done my studies, I believe that the, the rich young ruler that he refers to here is actually Nicodemus. And we know by historical accounts that Nicodemus, see, he was the third wealthiest man in Jerusalem. Uh, he was extremely wealthy. He was a teacher in the Sanhedrin. Uh, and so uh, we know also by historical accounts by Josephus. You've heard of Josephus. He was a historian back in this day. That was also Nicodemus' brother, older brother. And when he wrote about it, uh, he did indicate that Nicodemus did indeed give away his possessions and was a follower of Jesus. In fact, if you go and you look in the book of John, we see that Nicodemus was with his buddy, Joseph of Arimathea, wrapping Jesus' body and preparing him for burial. So we see Nicodemus kind of out there. So we don't know for sure, but I believe that... Um, this man that we're going to talk about, that's him, but it really doesn't matter. Um, whoever he is, I want us to see. The, the main point is I want us to see what Jesus has to say to this man. And then ask the Holy Spirit what he wants to say to us. Now, here again, because these are, this is an evangelistic series. And you might be here today and you might be like, well, I'm a believer. Well, okay, but I want to challenge you like I challenged you last week. And examine yourself today. 
Could we just all agree that we're going to be on the edge of our seat and we're going to examine ourselves as the Holy Spirit leads us to? Because I believe that there's someone here that either needs to be saved or you need assurance of your salvation today or you need something that the Lord wants to put into you to give to somebody else who needs to be saved. So I believe this message is for everybody in this room today. So I'm going to ask for you to examine and not let this message idly pass you by today. Um, I'm going to ask you if you would stand in the honor of reading of God's word. We're going to begin in Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 17. We're going to read a ways. And I would just ask you to follow along with me. But before we do, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us today into the truth of his word. Holy Spirit, we, we've worshipped now. And Father, our hearts are turned toward you. Lord, and we ask that you would please... Reveal truth to us through your word. Lord, reveal. Just talk to us. That's all. We're needy people. And we need to hear a word from you. So talk to us. Have free reign with us. And Lord... Help us empty ourselves out ready to be filled now by truth. I rebuke any lie that the enemy has told us this week. Any lie that he's spoken since we've been in this building, I rebuke that by the power of Jesus' name. And today we stand in victory on the truth of the word of God. So do your work, Lord, now. In Jesus' name, amen. Remain standing. Here we go. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Although, by the way, good teacher there, that language is familiar to the story we read last week with Nicodemus when he said, good teacher, rabbi. It was the same word, and there were only a few people who ever used that in the New Testament. By the way, just a point. Uh, So he says, good teacher, rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Then Jesus asked, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, I've obeyed all of those commandments since I was young. I've done all of that. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Now we're going to stop there. Later, we're gonna get, I'm going to give you some more past scripture, but we're going to stop there for now. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, my points are, what did this man, my observations on what Jesus taught this man? Or what observations did, did what did this man learn 
from Jesus. If you're taking notes, here's number one. Number one is, good is not good enough. Good is not good enough. Did you notice that Jesus quotes some of the Ten Commandments to him? And the guy says, I've done all of those. I've done them all. Now, if you, the story's recorded, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which, by the way, is called the Synoptic Gospels. Okay, We get synoptic, we get our word similar or same, meaning it's uh, writers, three different writers who wrote from uh, about the same thing from their own unique perspective, synoptic. So you'll see Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic Gospels. They record the same thing. So when you're reading the story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, see if... And I, I just want you, sometimes if, if that happens and we're reading the Gospels, you just cross-reference them to see if there's a nuance that you might pick up that might not be in the other. I, I think that's very wise. Now, if we go to Matthew chapter 19 in his encounter here, verse 16, it says, Someone came to Jesus with this question, Good teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. See, what what good things shall I do? What's the next good thing do I need to do, Jesus? The focus of this man was on the good thing that he needed to do. What is the next good thing, the next right thing that you need me to do so that I can inherit eternal life? And if you think about it, most people that don't know the Bible or are not believers yet think about heaven and hell in that way, don't they? Am I good enough to go to heaven? What's the next good thing that I need to do to be good enough to go to heaven? I was having a conversation with a friend a few weeks ago. And in the conversation with her, uh, it, it came. We were talking about faith and, and the different uh, faiths and religions and different viewpoints. And, and they were asking me about mine And she said, I just feel like if I'm a good person and I do the right thing and treat people right, then I'll go to heaven. And you know the thought that struck me in that moment as I was sitting across the table from her was what a terrifying worldview that must be to live with. Have you ever thought about that? See, you're hoping that your good is good enough. But there has to be some doubt there because there's no gauge then. So you're going by your own gauge of what is good enough. And you just hope that you make it, but you don't know if you're going to make it or not. You just hope you are. And see, for people who think that, I wonder if they think, I wonder if, well, what if I do just one less thing than what was required to do the, all the right things to get? What if I'm just one good deed short to get into heaven at the end of my life? What if I'm just one good deed away? See, I, I wonder if people that believe that, I wonder if they think about that. Now, many people think, well, there's this big scale of justice in heaven and, and then my good deeds will then be placed on one side and my bad deeds will be placed on the other side and I know my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds because I, I know that I'm pretty sure that I do more good deeds than bad deeds and, and I'm sure that if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I ought, surely I ought to be able to go to heaven. Surely I'm a good enough person to be able to go to heaven. But what they don't realize is that's not 
not how the scales of justice work. Because the scales, it's not by our goodness or our standard of goodness. The scales of justice according to God is our good and bad are put on one side and the justice of God is on the other side. His righteousness sits on the other side. And when you measure the righteousness of God against all of our deeds, the scale goes haywire. And I want you to listen to me. Then you're like, well, then how can anybody? How can I be justified before a holy God? How could I ever be made righteous before God? Here's how. Here's how I'm going to tell you. The only way that you can ever balance the scale is to ask Jesus to come into your life. And then he jumps in with the righteousness of God. And he jumps in on your side and the scales even. And God says, justified. That's how the scales of justice work. See, this guy was mistaken in his thought. What must good must I do? It's interesting, Jesus' response to this man. First, Jesus took a little sidebar. Did you notice that when we were reading? The, the guy asked a question, then he kind of ra- then Jesus asked the question. And he pointed out something about this man, about who he was, about who Jesus was. See, the man called him good teacher. And then Jesus asked, well, why do you call me good? Now, let me ask you, did Jesus know the answer to that question already? Okay. If you know by now, anytime God asks us a question, he's not in the need-to-know basis. He already knows the answer to his question. He asks us questions and engages us because he wants to hear it from us. He wants us to do some discovery. He wants to be in relationship with us. He was probing. Listen, when he asks a question, he's probing your heart. And then Jesus said, only God is truly good. Now, to me, I picked up on two things that what he's saying there in that passage. This is just me. I just picked up on two things. He said, when he says, asked, why do you call me good? Because only God is truly good. He says that. And if you truly think, here's what I think. If you truly think that I'm the good teacher, then I must be the son of God. I must be the son of God if you think I'm the good teacher. Number one, it was his identity. So Jesus was confirming that. But the other thing that I think Jesus was saying is he was saying, telling this man, listen, there's only one standard of good. There's only one standard of good, and it's not yours. It's not your standard of good. God is the only one who makes the standard for what is good and what is not good. See, we live by His rules, He's the ruler. He's the master. He's the creator, maker of heaven and earth. He is the standard maker. Our world has lost that reality. See, we have no say in the matter of what God thinks is good. We have no say in the matter of the definition of what is good. We have no say in the matter. But Jesus decides to play along with this guy. See, Jesus is so witty, by the way. Jesus is a smart cookie. He knows how to handle people. He knows how to meet people right where they are. He knows how to get to the root of things with people. 
And so he'll, he, see, he knows the intent of the heart. He knows the question. Guess what? He knows your intent of your heart. When you ask questions, you don't even know what you're asking about. And you're like, this might not even be a good question. Guess what? He sees beyond the question, knows your heart. And he knows how to get straight past your words and right to your heart. That's the way he works. He's so witty like that. So this young guy, whoever he is, he starts down this line of what else good do I need to get to heaven? Jesus goes straight to the heart and he says, all right, let me meet this, let me meet this guy where he's at. And then Jesus starts naming the commandments. But notice that he didn't name all of them. Did you notice that? He just named some of them. He only named six of them. Now, if you don't know this, the Ten Commandments are divided into two categories. Did you know that? They're divided into two main categories. Now, the first four have to do with man's relationship with whom? With God. The last six have to do with man's relationship with who? With others. And by the way, they asked Jesus, remember when they asked him, oh, by the way, well, what's the greatest commandment? You remember when the religious leaders were trying to trap him and they said, what's the greatest commandment? And he boiled it down to two. Guess what he was doing? He was boiling down these two categories. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Oh, and the other is love your neighbor as yourself. That covers all of them. It covers all of them. Jesus knew how to answer that question. It covers all of them. Now, which ones did Jesus list to this guy? The, the, the last six that have to do with the relationship between others. Okay? Now, do you want to know why? Because this man had already failed the first commandment. He's meeting him where he is. Jesus is meeting this guy where he is, and he's always failed with the first commandment, which is, you shall have no other gods before me. And this man already had the God before God. And guess what that God was? His stuff, his possessions. And Jesus went right straight to the heart of that. See, here's what you need to know. Sin against God causes a spiritual blindness. It causes spiritual blindness all day long. Sin against God causes spiritual blindness. Now, the root of all sin, I want you to hear me, the root of all sin is when we dethrone God and put something else there. When we when we say, I have another God besides you. That's what we do, see. We dethrone God and we put something else. We try to put something, what we think is good, on the throne of our lives. And Jesus is saying, you don't know good. You do not know good. There is none good. There is no one good enough. See, this is difficult for some of us to understand. God puts it this way in Romans 3.12. He says, there is no one who does good. And then he repeats himself, no, not one. And I believe he had to emphasize here, no, not one. Because he knew in our flesh we'd try to argue with him. See, God says that no one is good, and we'll say, well, Mother Teresa was good. Not according to Scripture. No, not one. And we say, well, Billy Graham was good. He did a lot of good things. But was he good enough? 
No, not even him. Now that's where we get a little, we get a little squirrely here. We're like, oh, mm. well, there's got to be someone good. Not good enough. The Bible says if you violate just one of the commandments, what does it say? You've broken them all. You've broken them all. In other words, your goodness is a house of cards. Jesus said to be good is to be God. And if you're going to talk about what is good, then we're going to be talking about who God is. But our flesh mind thinks, well, yeah, so this might not be God good, but it's not bad. See, that's what our flesh does. See, we create categories. We create degrees of sin. God doesn't create degrees of sin. Sin is sin. Sin is separation from a holy God. We're the ones who say, well, it might not be that bad. It might not be God good, but it's still all right. Have you ever, have your kids ever gotten in trouble? <laughs> yes, I heard that. Yes, it's flat out yes, yes. I wasn't finished with my question, but good, good point. Um, <laughs> And, and you just, you kind of went ahead and reverted to yes or no questions with them. You're like, uh, did you hit your brother, yes or no? And they say something like, yes, but I hit him in the arm and not the face. Yeah, it was bad. I did. I shouldn't have done that. Yes, I agree. I hit him, but I hit him. It wasn't hitting the face bad. It was just hitting the arm bad. See, that's a degree. All of us in this room are guilty of that. All of us. But I'm here to tell you, good is not good enough. Our good is not good enough. And if you're here today and that you're hoping that good is good enough, the answer is no. And you need Jesus to hop on the scales with you. And he does that when you're born again. So here's the second observation from this passage. Number two, God requires total commitment. He requires total commitment. So Jesus lists his commandments, okay? And this guy's going down the checklist, done that, done that, done that, done that, done that. My whole life, I've done all of those, Jesus. I've done them all. I must be good enough. And Jesus says, well, big boy, there's only one more thing you need to do. Then, if you followed all the commandments, there's only one more thing you need to do. You need to sell everything and give to the poor and take up your cross and follow me. Now, let me ask you a question and don't answer. Don't answer this. Would you give everything away to go to heaven? Don't answer. I just want you to think about it. Would you give away everything? To be in heaven with God and to have eternal life. And here's my next question Have you? Have you given everything away 
I don't mean that you have to sell your, ha- your houses or your cars and disperse your assets. I don't mean that. But the question is, who's the owner? That's the question. It goes back to, refers back to the first game-changing question. Who's in charge? Who's in charge of your life? See. Have you given everything to God? Have you committed to Him? Because God requires, according to this story, this passage that we're reading, He requires total commitment to Him. Do you know the root of what Jesus was asking Him to do? Do you know the root? Jesus was saying, Are you ready to remove your idols off the throne of your life and put me there? Are you ready to do that? See, it's the number one commandment in the first four. Relating to the relationship between God and man, you shall have nothing else, no other gods before me. Putting something ahead of God, do you know what that's called? It's called idolatry. It's that word, idolatry. Idolatry was the prevailing sin in the Old Testament. I dare say it's the prevailing sin now. Idolatry, I want to give you a definition of idolatry, okay? In case you're sharing with someone who doesn't know this truth. Idolatry is any person, place, or thing that you look to for your source. Whatever that is. An idol is the basis of your dependency. That's what an idol is. It's the basis of your dependency. If you find security in it, your happiness in it, your identity in it, and it isn't God, it's an idol. That's idolatry. For this guy, money was his idol. And since he wasn't willing to obey God and sell his possessions and give to the poor, see what it did is it revealed the root of the problem. It revealed the source, the very thing that was keeping this man from picking up his cross and having eternal life. Because God was not on the throne of his life. He was not fully committed in his relationship with God. Now let me ask you another question. Did Jesus tell him that he had to sell everything to go to heaven? Is that what he said? No. Read it again. Mark 10, 21. He said, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have, what? Treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. If you can give to others, if you can give away, if you can dethrone the idol in your life, then you can come follow me. You'll you'll have treasure in heaven. What did he have to do to go to heaven? He had to do what anybody else has to do. Matthew 16, 24 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Some translations, do you know what it says? It says, you must deny yourself. Deny yourself. I want you to remember that phrase. And I want you to remember the phrase, take up your cross and follow me. See, here's what Jesus did with this man. Here's what he was saying to him. He said, to go to heaven, young fellow, you need to take up your cross and follow me. But in order to take up your cross, in order to do that, 
you have to deny yourself. And the place where you need to deny yourself is in your possessions. See, Jesus, he was saying a convicting word to this man. He's like, you're going to have to get rid of that before I'm ever in your view. Jesus was showing this man what was stopping him from making a game-changing decision. The game-changing decision, listen to me, is for everyone. And it's this, I must take up my cross and follow Jesus. Now, here's the question. What's the one thing stopping you? Is it a relationship? Is it a sin? Is it a habit? Maybe a stronghold that's stopping you. Maybe it's a lie that you've believed. Maybe it's a false belief that you're really saved when you're really not. Listen, there are some people who will say, yes, I want to go to heaven. If you get a bunch of people in a room and you ask how many people want to go to heaven and be with God one day when you die, most everybody's going to raise their hand. Very few are not. But there are some people who will say, yes, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to give up my lifestyle. See, I don't want to give up all the things that I enjoy doing. I don't want to give up some relationships. I don't want to give up some habits. I don't want to give up some strongholds. I've become accustomed to them. I don't want to give up some things. I don't want to do that. I want to be in heaven when I die, but there's just some things I'm not willing to do yet. I'll do I maybe I might do that one day. You heard that? I'll do that one day when the time is right. Remember, we're in a window. We're in a grace window. One day, that window of opportunity is going to close. That's why scripture says today is the day of salvation. That's why. You might not have tomorrow to live another day, another minute, another second of the lifestyle that you don't want to give up to follow Jesus. There are people today that think that they're saved because they prayed a prayer, but they're not saved. Because they've never denied themselves and they've never picked up their cross and never followed Jesus. We don't teach that anymore, and I don't know why. I don't know why. It's probably the tragedy of our churches around the world that we do not teach the truth, that you must deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow Jesus. You must be born again, not my words, Jesus' words. And if you are not, you will not be in heaven with God when you die. I've asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, deny yourself and follow me. And the man could not deny himself in that moment. You must commit your life to Christ. You must be willing to give away everything, including your rights. Your right to be right. And follow Jesus. Here's the third thing. This man had to have known. Was that Jesus loved him. 
Mark 10, 24, it says, Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Can I just say this could be one of the most profound sentences within this whole exchange? Jesus had genuine love, agapeo love for this man. You know why? Because Jesus loved him enough to tell him the truth. He loved him enough to tell him the truth. He loved him enough to confront him where he was. He loved him enough, even if he meant the man would walk away. Let me ask you a question. How many of you love with an agapeo love enough that you're willing to tell someone the truth, even if it means that they will walk away? He did not sugarcoat the truth. Jesus didn't do that. That was not his MO. It was a hard truth that he told this man. And the man, at first, he did not receive it well. Listen, Christianity, a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to hear me say this. If no one has ever said this before, it is not the easy path. That's why Jesus said, few will ever find it. You won't, few will find it. If it were easy, many would be on it. Worldliness and a life of sin on the path to hell, that's easy. Easy peasy. Following Christ means a crucified life and it will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. And if no one ever told you that, I'm sorry. Because that's the truth of the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel. Following Jesus will cost you everything. Now this guy goes away sad. Once he hears this, but now look at this next part. In verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, this guy went away, saw his God as his disciples left, so he turns around and looks at them, and he said, how hard it is. Guys, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, please don't mistakenly think that Jesus was only talking about the man that just walked away. And don't, mis- don't mistake and only think that he's not talking about you. That he's not talking about you. Because I'm telling you, if you live in this country, if you live in the United States of America, you're richer than four-fifths of the entire world. Even if you live at the poverty line in this country, even if you do, you're still four-fifths. You're still richer than four-fifths of the world. Now, he said, how hard it is to, for a rich to enter the kingdom of God. And look what it said. It said the disciples were what? They were amazed. <gasps> they were astonished. And Jesus reiterated to them in verse 24. Dear children, hey bros, it's, it is very hard for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. And then he says in verse 25, in fact, in fact, boys, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter to the kingdom of God. And then it said the disciples were astounded. First they were amazed. Then they were astounded. (gasps) And then they asked the question, then who in the world can be saved? Interesting question from them, isn't it? Then they asked, and then Jesus looked at them intently. And he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Everything is possible. Now, The question to me was, when I was studying this passage, was why were they astonished? Why? Why were they astonished? 
I think they were astonished because they realized that Jesus was talking about them too. Because they had riches. See, a lot of people automatically assume that the disciples were poor. They weren't poor necessarily when Jesus called them. Think about it. Back in Mark chapter 1, if you do a little bit of study about their, where they come from, it mentions Peter and John. They left their boat. They left their nets with their father. And who else? With their servants. With their hired servants. Poor people don't live, have boats and nets and servants. They don't have them. Matthew, the tax collector, tax collectors back then were not poor people. Do you know that? Now, we don't know about all of them. But we know that they had means. And they left it all. See, here's the point. They left it all to follow Jesus. They were astonished and amazed because they thought, oh, this applies to us then. So it's easier to stuff a camel through the eye of a needle than it is for us to be saved. Saved, then how can any of us be saved, including us? How could we be saved? Then he says, humanly speaking, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. See, as we're saying, it's impossible for you to save yourselves. You need a Savior. You need a Savior. And you know why I think that Jesus felt compassion and love for this guy? You know why? I think because Jesus, because he knew the heart of this man... He knew that he was really empty inside. He knew that his life was empty, although he had every worldly thing he could have. The rich young ruler, we would say, had climbed to the top of the ladder of success, only to find out that his ladder was leaning against the wrong building. That's what I mean when, see, you feel like you've done everything you're supposed to do. And I, I think this is why a lot of people think that they're saved, but they're not saved. Is that they've, they've been, they haven't, the whole truth hasn't been shared about the gospel for whatever reason. Or maybe they think, well, I'm just, if I just say a prayer and then I just do my good works, I'm good enough, I'm good enough. And I climb this ladder and I, I climb and I climb and I climb and I climb and I climb. And the loving truth is... Some that profess to be believers, you're at the top of that and you, your ladder's leaning against the wrong building. And today the Holy Spirit might be saying to you, you're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to climb down off of your ladder, deny yourself that, so that you can profess faith in Christ and pick up your cross and then follow Him. My question to you is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to make the game-changing decision to come down and pick up your ladder and lean it against Jesus? Or are you going to stay up there and have the world but lose your soul? Here's the truth. Many will not because you can't bear the thought of giving up your treasure. You think, how foolish I would be to give up my dream. All this that I've worked for my whole life, how foolish it would be for me to give up my reputation. How foolish of it would be for me to give up some relationships that I, I just really like. 
How foolish of me would it be? How foolish. How foolish. But here's what I know to be true. If you're trying to live for Jesus and you're not surrendered, if you've not surrendered your life to Him and you're not saved, you're really totally miserable. And before too long, the Christian thing that you keep trying to do, it'll get too hard and you'll let go of that. Because as the scripture says, you can't serve two masters. In other words, your ladder can't be leaning against two buildings at the same time. What's the one thing that's making you walk away from the truth and making you sad? Isn't that a pointed question? What's the one thing that's making you walk away from the truth and making you sad? Can I tell you one more thing? Well, you didn't say I could, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I want you to look at verse 28 through 31. It says, then Peter began to speak up. Good old Peter. We can rely on Peter to speak up, can't we? We've given up everything to follow you, he said. And they had. That was a true statement Peter made. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up a house or a brother or sister or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. He says you receive it along with persecution. Note that. Don't let that pass you. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who, have, who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And let me boil this passage down to you because it's not literal. What he's saying is, uh, Peter was saying, Lord, we've given all. We've given all. And Jesus' reply was, I know what you've given. I know what you've given and you'll be blessed, but there's a price to pay. There's a price to pay now. There is a price to pay for following Jesus. Listen, God wants to bless his children. We, we see that. He wants to bless us. Do you know what blessed means in this passage? Do you know what it means? Do you know where most every time where it says God bless you or God wants to bless you? Do you know what that means? If you look it up, it means favored by endorsement. Do you know that? Favored by endorsement. It doesn't necessarily mean you get all the stuff. That's not what he's talking about. I'll tell you this. If you're blessed by God, you won't care what you have in this world. You won't care what your possessions are. You won't care what house you live in. You won't care what you drive. You won't care if you have the blessing and the favor and the endorsement of God on your life. There is no greater reward than to know that your heavenly father is pleased with you. Nothing greater than that. Do you know what the faithfulness of God is? I mean, the, the favor of God, his blessing, it's his faithfulness to us. That's our reward. But we've got to come to a place where we're willing to give up our lives and pick up our cross and take on his life. See, that's the only way we're saved. I want to leave you with this quote from uh, 
Jim Elliott. Anybody know that name? Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary to Ecuador. And he had visited uh, several times. There was a small group of them. And they were, he was telling, sharing the gospel with them. When the tribe that he was sharing the gospel with all of a sudden turned on him and he killed, they killed him and the other men that were with him. Because they thought that he had taken uh, one of the sisters. They, they thought, they, they believed a lie. So they killed Jim Elliot. But here's a quote, and I want to leave you with this. Jim Elliot said this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Will you give up your life for Jesus today?